0: I was uh, coming up from my first trip to Mexico with my girlfriend, Fern. I was 21 years old. Fern wasn't feeling so well. She would picked something up south of the border. and Our car had broken down, and we're hitchhiking, trying to get back to San Francisco. Through the mirage of the heat haze comes this long, purple Monte Carlo, and it just kind of comes cruising up. I go running over, and the electric windows buzz down, and there's these two really uh, hip-looking people in the car. This guy who looks like kind of a reformed pirate with a little bit of stubble and slick back black hair and uh, this kind of cute blonde gal. I asked them where they were going, and they looked at each other, and they just laughed, and they said, We don't know. So they popped the trunk open, and Fern and I walked around to the back with our bags. I opened up the trunk, and we looked inside, and it just seemed a little weird. I mean... Inside the trunk, there was nothing except a spare tire, a golfer's cap, and this strange kind of damp stain that covered the low-felt carpet. But we just shrugged and threw our backpacks in, and then we climbed into the back seat, and off we went. And it was glorious. They wanted to know everything about where we'd been. Their names were Tony and Sue they'd come from, they said, some kind of wedding or party in Texas and just decided they were in the mood for a road trip. And we're driving along, we're chatting, and they're so curious, and they're just animated and slapping each other's legs. One of those moments where you know that of all the people in the world who could have picked you up, you got picked up by exactly the right people. We're getting a little hungry after about an hour or two in the car. We're heading through New Mexico, and tours arizona we we pull into a convenience store and we get some uh, white bread and some bologna some iceberg lettuce we go out to make some sandwiches in the car and sue sort of looks at at tony in alarm and says we forgot to get dessert but i slyly opened the bag that i'd bought and inside was a three musketeers and a snickers bar and a mars bar and i looked at sue and i said uh take your pick and she just squeezed her boyfriend Tony on the shoulder and she said I like these guys Tony asked me if I could contribute something towards gas and that seemed to be reasonable because I remember back in those days a lot of people had bumper stickers on their cars and trunks that said gas, grass, or ass nobody rides for free and I said, I'll handle gas. In fact, I just uh, had my first credit card. So I kept that wallet out on the dashboard, and whenever we needed gas, we would stop and use it. So we're driving on, uh, and we're kind of thinking about what we could do. And it turns out that Tony and Sue don't really have any plans. They're happy to spend a day, two days, three days exploring the Southwest with us. We we drive. We see a sign for a place called Blue Mesa. So we drive about 20 minutes, and then we come to this parking area. And the four of us get out of the car. And uh, uh, Fern says, you know, Jeff, I don't think uh, I want to do some hiking. I'll just stay right here in the parking lot near the restroom. And Sue says, I'll I'll stay with Fern. You two guys go. So Tony and I set off on this little trail. We get to this overlook, and there's no real fence. There's just kind of like a cliff that drops off about three or 400 feet. And in the distance, this beautiful solitary mesa. And there's this warm wind coming up the cliff. And Tony looks at me and says... Did you ever feel like you could fly? He said, let me show you something. And Tony went and stood right on the edge of the cliff with his heels on the cliff. And I grabbed the back of his belt. And he put his arms out and he leaned forward, spread eagle, leaning over the cliff. And I was just straining as hard as I could, holding the back of his belt and pulling him back to make sure he didn't go go over the edge. And I pulled him back and he said, okay, now you try it. And I took my place on the edge of the cliff and Tony grabbed the back of my belt and I just leaned forward. And I felt the wind come rushing up through my face and these particles of dust blowing up from the mesa. And I said, this is great. Just yanked me back. I was just overcome. I just shivered like a dog, and I threw my arms around him. But he stiffened up, and I I backed off. And I said, thanks. I am so glad we met you guys. You guys are the greatest. We drove on. We decided we were all going to spend the night together. The four of us shared a room, and it was one of those little motel rooms. Not much going on except a TV, and I remember we were channel surfing, and uh, I think MASH was on. Uh, Fern and I shared a bed, and Tony and Sue had a bed. And we lay down. We were, we were pretty dog-tired and uh, all fell asleep. And at some point during the middle of the night, I woke up, and I, I was kind of, you know, woozy, but I'm sure I heard something. I heard this voice, and it was like, uh, just until tomorrow, just until tomorrow, then drive straight down to San Diego. Whack them, like I told you, like the last guy. And I didn't know who was talking, and I didn't make much of it, and I just fell back to sleep. And the next morning, I woke up, and I sat up in bed, and just in time to see the door to the room open, and Tony walked in with four cups of black coffee and styrofoam mugs. Fern was really not doing so well. She was feeling very, very sick, and she and I climbed into the back of the Monte Carlo, and we set off heading towards Flagstaff. Every 10 minutes, whenever there was a rest area, she had to run out and go to the bathroom. And Tony and Sue seemed to be getting a little nervous. Whenever we stopped, I saw them looking in the rearview mirror, and we stopped at a rest stop, and Fern was gone for about 10 or 15 minutes. And Tony just looked back to me, and he said, do you think she's all right? Sue said, maybe you better go check on her. So I jumped out of the car, and I ran into the bathroom, and uh, I found Fern in there, and she was curled around one of the stalls just whimpering, and I knew she was really, really sick. I realized she had amoebic dysentery that she'd picked up in Mexico. So I said, you just wait right there, drink as much water as you can, we'll take you into Flagstaff and get you some help. And I dashed out into the parking lot, it was about 105 degrees outside, and I remember it took a second for my eyes to adjust to the light, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing because the Monte Carlo was gone. And I ran frantically around the rest area, and they were, they were nowhere to be found, and our backpacks weren't there either. There wasn't, there wasn't anything. My wallet, everything was gone. They had, they had taken off. And the sun started to sink towards the hills, and I realized, uh, we got to get out of here. I called the police, and the patrol car brought us back to Flagstaff and just dumped us off. And Fern couldn't even walk. And I carried her to the nearest emergency room in town. They saw her. They took her pulse. They threw on a stretcher, and they raced her into the intensive care unit. And about an hour later, the nurse came out and said to me, 20 more minutes, you would have lost her. I spent the night in the hospital waiting for her to get better. The next morning, we were faced with the reality that um, we just had nothing. We had no money. We had no clothes. And we still had to get back up to San Francisco about a day and a half's drive away. We walked together to one of the truck stops near the outskirts of town, and she was able to um, convince this burly truck driver named Squidge to uh, let us ride in the back of his uh, tractor trailer, and he drove us all the way up to San Francisco and dumped us off uh, outside of the flower market. It had been a bummer, but it was over. And so I went back and started my job as a camp counselor at the Jewish Community Center in the Presidio in San Francisco. About a week later, about 2 in the morning, there's a knock on my door. It's the telephone. Your father is calling. And I took the phone and he hes like, uh, Jeff, is everything all right? Our house is surrounded by squad cars. These police say that you have been robbing stores and banks all through Nevada and Central California. And suddenly it all came back to me. My wallet on the dashboard, these guys who dropped us off, Tony and Sue must have been doing something and dropping pieces of my ID along the way. How else could this have happened? And indeed, this was the story. Well, it turns out that the two people who picked us up, Tony and Sue, their real names were uh, Bella and Sam. They had escaped from the Louisiana Forensic Unit for the Criminally Insane. They'd ended up on a golf course somehow and ran into some guy who was unloading his car. They killed him with one of his own golf clubs, stolen the Monte Carlo, and then just started driving. And after about a day, they'd seen me and Fern on the side of the road and picked us up. After they dumped us off, picked up another hitchhiker, cut his throat, and left him by the side of the road after stealing his wallet. No one knew where they were. They were still at large. We're offering you protection, the FBI agent said. These guys know that you can identify them. They may come for you. They know where you live. And I sort of got into this whole macho frame of mind at that point and I was like this is a matter of pride these guys were my friends and they dumped on us I want to be the first one to confront them I have some things to say to these guys and I told the FBI agent no I don't want any protection so I went back to work at the daycare center whenever we were out in the play yard any time a Monte Carlo came cruising up the street I just would freak out is this them Are they come out with a machine gun and start shooting at me and these kids so I called the FBI back and I got in touch with this agent and I said Uncle, I give up. I'd like some protection. And he said, it's funny you should call because we were going to call you this afternoon. We apprehended Bella and Sam this morning. They were caught outside of Redding, California. And I said, did you find our backpacks or our backpacks in the trunk? There was a slight pause in the line, and Tennyson said, what they found in the trunk was the body of the last hitchhiker they picked up cut into five pieces. I think that your backpacks are probably hysteric. So, after all these years, I've, I've had plenty of time to think about it, and my, my take on it's quite different now. I just think back on the time we spent together, listening to the music in the back of the car, uh, Sue's delight at those candy bars, Tony holding me over the cliff, his hands the only thing keeping me from falling those 400 feet. We loved them. We loved those killers, and they loved us. They had a choice. And their choice was to leave us with our lives. It was the only gift they could really give us, but the greatest gift, I think, that anybody has (laughs) ever given me on the road.
1: Seven toes for the scumbags Every one of them that I know have toast for the jerk That'll never take work off. Baby, I got a plan Run away fast as you can Run away from me, baby Run away Run away from me, baby away from me baby run away and not get crazy why can't you just run away baby i got a plan run away as fast as you
0: can jeff greenwald is a very very busy man catch him while you can here's a new one-man show out called strange travel suggestions and i know he's got plenty and not just that. Not that alone would be enough for some people. But Jeff, he has a new book out as well. It's called Snake Lake. It's available in stores everywhere. It's right on my nightstand. It's amazing. Jeff Greenwald.
1: You are listening to Snap Judgment. And to hear more stories, visit snapjudgment.org.